Well, we do hope to see you on August 6th and 7th. I think it'll be a great opportunity for us to learn more about God's word. Why don't we say welcome to those of you who are here in the room, those of you who are here in the East Auditorium, and to those who are worshiping with us online. I'm thankful that we can look at God's word together today. And my name is Heather Vance, and I'm part of the pastoral team here at First Christian, and I also lead family ministries. And today we are starting a new series, but maybe not in the way that we normally think of a series that we do here. And so whether we've been a Christian for just a short while or we've been a Christian for a really long time, we know that along the way there's always something more that we can learn. And so for the next few weeks in our new message series, we're going to hear from different voices of what God has laid on people's hearts to share with us. And so we are going to talk about a number of different things. And so we have lovingly named this series, Including the Kitchen Sink. And so we look forward to what God's going to speak through us and say to us in the next few weeks. And I'm excited to hear about that. So... Well, as I said, I lead family ministries. And one of the things that I get to do in that is lead our middle school students. And each week during our regular student life programming, we play a game. And we do that really just to have fun together and for our students to be able to connect with one another. And we've learned along the, along the way that we have some very competitive students. But after a few parents' nights in student life, we have learned where that comes from. And so today, we are going to play a quick trivia game. And I'm sure that you came in here not expecting to take a quiz. And so no need to worry about it. No need to panic. It's only five questions, and I believe that you guys can do it, okay? If you're online, we want you to play with us as well. And so there are five questions about the disciples. And the disciples are the 12 men who closely followed Jesus. And so I do need you to keep track of how many that you get correct, because there's always a prize, and usually in student ministry, it's candy, okay? And so if you get all five right, you'll get a piece of candy after service. It will be on the stage here for you. If you're online, um, if you, whoever has the highest number and puts it in the chat first, you will also win a prize, and your host will tell you how we can do that. So now, as I tell our students, don't cheat. <laughs> don't Google it. Don't look it up in your Bible really quick. I always tell them, it's not worth your relationship with Jesus, and the candy really isn't that good, Okay. <laughs> And so, are we ready to go? Here we go. The first question, which of the 12 disciples wrote the most New Testament books of the Bible? Was it John, Peter, Paul, or Luke? Ooh. Be careful not to say your answers out loud. You are win trying to win here, okay? You don't want other people to get your answers. And the correct answer is John. And I know I heard some Pauls out there, and some people would say Paul. Paul did write most of the New Testament books, but he was not a disciple of Jesus, okay? So a little bit of a trick question there. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> I'm getting booed. <laughs> Think about how our middle school students feel. So um, that's the only trick question, so don't quit playing right now. Hang with me for the next four questions, okay? So. The second question, which of the disciples was known for his skepticism? Was it Peter, Matthew, James, or Thomas? This was his nickname. And the correct answer is Thomas. All right, anybody two for two? I don't need to show hands right now. We will wait. The, th the third question, which disciple brought the boy with five loaves and two fish to Jesus? Was it Peter? Andrew, James, or John? And the correct answer is Andrew. All right, number four. Which disciples found Jesus' empty tomb after he was resurrected? 
Was it Simon and Thomas, John and Peter, Matthias and Judas, or Jude and Bartholomew? I'll give you a hint. One of them was the disciple that Jesus loved the most, as he writes it. And the correct answer is John and Peter. All right, the last question. Which disciple was called the rock and left everything to follow Jesus? Was it John, Peter, Philip, or Nathaniel? All right. Guys, have your answers. Here we go. And the correct answer is Peter. All right, how many of you, by show of hands, had three or more right? Good job. All right, anybody four or more right? All right, anybody have all five correct? Good job, congratulations to all of you. And uh, you can get your candy on the stage after service is over. They're also in the East Auditorium, there'll be candy for you as well. And once again, if you're the winner online, your host will tell you how you can get your prize. And so, good job, you guys. We all survived that, you all did really well. So, today we are gonna actually look at the disciple in the last question of our trivia game, and that is Peter. And uh, you guys can take out your Bibles um, or on your smartphones and look up Luke chapter 5. Uh, it's the, in the New Testament, one of the Gospels. And so we're going to look at Peter, and he was known as the rock. It was a name given to him by Jesus. And Jesus said that Peter would be the rock upon which I build my church. But Peter's journey with Jesus didn't begin that way. And in the next few moments, we're going to see that Peter has a conversion experience that he denies Jesus, but then he comes back to being called the rock. Peter was a fisherman, and we know that Peter had a hot temper, and fishermen were typically men of action. We also know that Peter was passionate and impulsive. And we do have the story here in Luke chapter five of how Peter met Jesus. And so Jesus had been speaking to crowds of people, and all of a sudden he approaches Peter, and without even officially meeting Peter, he takes his boat from him and goes out into the lake. And so maybe a little bit of an awkward first interaction of Peter thinking, who is this guy that just comes and doesn't even tell me his name but takes my boat out onto the lake here? And I guess if he's Jesus, he can do anything that he wants. And so um, that's what happened and Jesus took his boat out on the lake to speak to the crowds there. But after he's finished speaking to the crowds, um, he then comes back and he turns to Peter and we see their interaction in Luke chapter five, starting in verse four. And I want to clarify here, as we see the name Simon, that that is actually Peter's name as well, because his full name is Simon Peter. And so let's read this together. When he, Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Peter's life looked different after his interaction with Jesus. He recognizes that he has a sinful life and he falls on his knees before Jesus and gives him glory. And we see that Jesus' response to Peter, of course, is one of compassion and tells him to not be afraid. And then he goes on to say that Peter would no longer fish for actual fish, but that he would fish for people. 
And we see that Peter and the others with him drop everything, including their identity as fishermen, and began an incredible journey with Jesus. Peter became a part of Jesus' inner circle, and he was with him for his three years of ministry. And Peter experienced amazing things with Jesus. He was able to watch miracles take place, such as Jesus walking in water or the healing of sicknesses and diseases. But despite the amazing things that he saw Jesus do, we also see that Peter faltered in his faith. When Jesus predicted that Peter would deny him three times, Peter is adamant about the fact that he would never do that, that he would never turn away from Jesus. And yet, as we read in scripture, we do see that in fact, Peter did deny Jesus three times, just as Jesus said he would do. Although Peter stumbled at times in his relationship with Jesus, it didn't cancel out his identity as one who followed him. And even with all of Peter's faults, he lived a life surrendered to Jesus. He sought to learn to be like Jesus in everything that he did. Because once a decision is made to follow Jesus, he becomes our identity, and we should surrender everything to, to him. As people who follow Jesus, our lives simply are not about us, but our lives should be all about Jesus. Our lives should be surrendered to him, and Jesus wants every part of us. Maybe you're here, or you're online, and you are not yet following Jesus. We would love to have a conversation with you and what that means. And a part of that conversation, we will talk to, with you about God's unconditional love and his grace and his forgiveness. And we'll talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus and to live your life surrendered to him. So what does surrender mean? Well, Webster's defines it as to yield to the power, control, or possession of another upon compulsion or demand. It also means to give up completely or agree to forego, especially in favor of another. The Bible speaks of it this way. When Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And this doesn't seem to make any sense. It's almost an upside down thinking. The idea that if I hold on, that it equals failure and losing my life. But if I let go, it equals success and gaining life. You see, many of Jesus' followers looked at him as the Messiah who would be the king and overthrow the bad Roman government that was in place. Many people thought he was proclaiming his title or authority or power when in fact Jesus came to earth for the ultimate surrender. Jesus surrendered everything for us. His death on the cross and resurrection was so that we could have a relationship with our heavenly father. He surrendered everything for us because he loves us that much. So you might be thinking, great, Heather. We've learned a little bit about Peter so far and how he surrendered his life to Jesus, even though he made mistakes. And you've told us that we need to take up our cross and follow Jesus and surrender to him. But what does that even mean? What does surrender look like? Well, let's look at some of the surrender that already shows up in our lives. I know many of us here have a hobby or an activity that we like to do. And so what do you surrender in order to participate in that? Obviously, most of us here have some kind of relationships, whether that's friendships or marriages that we're in and, or some other kind of important relationship. And so what do you surrender to make those relationships work? For most of us, we probably surrender time or sleep or work. We surrender our needs or our priorities, our emotional vulnerability, our devotion. We surrender all of those things to make those activities or hobbies or those relationships work. And so what does this look like when it comes to our relationship with Jesus? 
The things that we love usually cost us something. Think about that. The things that we love usually cost us something. And so when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, does this include all of the things we've already talked about, our time and our sleep, or maybe our priorities or our needs? Absolutely. It's everything. God wants us to surrender everything to him. We're told in scripture to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. There's nothing left. It's everything. And I also understand that that can be a little scary or maybe intimidating or a little bit overwhelming. You mean God doesn't want to hold me to hold anything back? He wants every part of me? Yes. And God deserves everything. He deserves it all. But how do we do that? We need to start somewhere. But it's hard to give up control of our lives. It's hard to give up what we want or what we need or desire. Sometimes it's hard to trust God with the little things in our lives, let alone give him everything. As others have said, the only way to give God everything is to give him the next thing. The only way to give God everything is to give him the next thing. We can't give everything to God at once. It's not possible. There are no shortcuts in our spiritual life, and it's a journey that will last our whole life. The Bible tells us that we haven't arrived at our goal yet, but we are to press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. We are to forget what is behind and strain toward what is ahead, to press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We are to press on, to keep going, to keep working in our faith, to keep growing in our relationship with Jesus. And it can be a struggle because simply sometimes we don't have any idea how to do it. Sometimes we approach faith as a destination rather than a journey. But we are on a journey, not a destination. We haven't arrived. And so think about it this way. If you were face to face with Jesus and you would might say to him, I love my church. I followed you for many years. I'm even involved at my church. But then Jesus looks at you with love and compassion. What is the next thing that you could give to Jesus? Or maybe you have yet to follow Jesus. And so what does surrendering your life look like for you? What is the next thing we need to give to Jesus? This is a question for all of us, whether you're here for the first time or joining us online for the first time or whether you've been here 40 plus years, whether you're a student here in the room or maybe you're not a student and you're a little bit older. Maybe you're not a believer or you're solid in your faith or maybe you're just struggling spiritually. There is a next thing that we need to give to Jesus. To surrender everything to Jesus, we must start or continue a journey rather than settle for a destination. And so what does this journey of surrender look like? Well, first of all, a journey of surrender begins with dependence. And dependence means to rely on or to trust in someone. And this isn't a popular word for us because <clears throat> we're taught in our culture to be strong and to be proud and to be independent. And sometimes the word dependence can be just another word for weakness. And yet we need to depend on God. We need to trust in him. <clears throat> We're told to continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose, to work out our salvation. That is our relationship with Jesus. And our salvation can only be accepted 
It's not earned because it's a gift given to us because of God's amazing love for us. And it's free for us because it costs Jesus everything. This scripture tells us <clears throat> that we have to continue to grow in our relationship and to work out our salvation, but we can't do it without God's help, that he is working in us. We can't do it on our own, but if we allow him, he will work in us and through us. And in order to grow spiritually, we need to be dependent upon God's power. Dependence means giving up pride or control, and that's hard to do. No one wants to give up their ego because we all want to feel like we're important or we're successful or that we're enough. But depending on God means giving up control of our lives and trusting God with every part of them. It means surrendering our will for his will and giving up who we are for who he says we are. Depending on someone seems to be a weakness, but it's really not. It actually takes incredible strength to give up what we want and what, who we are to someone else. But we also know that we serve a God who is faithful and good and that we can trust him. So if you want to know if this is an issue for us and get to the root of it, we can ask ourselves a couple of questions. Where does my strength come from? What do I depend on? For some of us, we have the ability to work with our hands, and so we rely on that, or maybe some other ability that we might have. For some of us, we have power, influence, and so we depend on that. For some of us, it's our bank account. For some of us, we like our lives to be scheduled and in control of them and know what's happening each day, and that's me. I like to know what's happening in my life. I like to know what's happening in the next couple of days, in the next week, in the next month. I like to know, and I depend on that. For some of us, we depend on our family or our friends. <clears throat> we all depend on something. But surrender to God is a daily moment-by-moment -moment choice to give everything to him, and depending on God is hard. It goes against everything that our earthly selves automatically desire because our natural instincts urge us to move on with our plans and timetable. But depending on God means depending on God. It means letting him be in charge and in control and it means trusting our heavenly father. There's been a few seasons in my life where the only option I had was to give what I was going through to God and to trust him and to depend on him for what was happening in my life. And one of those seasons was when my husband Jack and I decided that we were ready to start a family. Now for us, this has a positive outcome, but I wanna acknowledge that for others that this may not have worked out yet how you have hoped and prayed for. So I wanna be aware and sensitive to that. But for Jack and I, we were young when we got married and so we intentionally waited five years uh, before we decided we wanted to start a family. And our five-year plan became a 10-year plan. Our goal was to wait and have three kids, but that's not how it worked out. And so we came to a point where we had to figure out what we needed to do next to figure out what our family was gonna look like. And so we were about three and a half years into the process and making doctor's appointments and working with our insurance company to figure out what we could do. And in conversations with our insurance company, we found out that our insurance at that time did not cover infertility. There was nothing else that we could do. We were not in a place where we could move forward without insurance, and so that was a season where we had to completely depend on and trust God to know what our family was going to look like. That was in November of 2006, and the following November, our son Carter was born, and he's now 13 years old and taller than his mom by quite a bit, which he reminds me of often. 
Was that an easy season for us to walk through? No, it wasn't. Does that mean now it makes it easier for me to trust in Jesus? Sometimes yes, but sometimes no. Because we still wanna know the answers, I still wanna know the why and how it will all work out. But I can also tell you that there is something freeing about handing it over to him in the times that it's too hard or it hurts too much or we're too angry or we don't know what to do or we just need it to make sense. We can give it to Jesus and trust him. The Bible says to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding and all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. It tells us too that we can also cast all of our anxiety on him because he cares for us. We can depend on God. We can trust him. We can let go of our egos and desires and let Jesus identify us and lead and guide our lives. We can depend on Jesus. So we've seen that a journey of surrender, first of all, begins with dependence. And the next action for us is obedience. I'm probably like you when it comes to obedience that sometimes it's hard for me. Sometimes I don't like to be told what to do, especially when I like doing what I want to do. And so I don't wanna go away from that. And um, our son Carter, when he was little, as most little ones, um, sometimes had a hard time walking away from what he was doing to do what we needed him to do. And so we learned early on that we needed to give him a few minutes warning to prepare him for the next thing that needed to happen. And so sometimes those minutes worked really well and sometimes they just did not because simply put, Carter did not wanna do what we wanted him to do. He was set on that toy or the game that he was doing. In fact, I actually have a picture here um, on the screen of him when he was little and, <laughs> and in this picture he's crying because he is mad. And so the little line that he is pushing, um, I'd actually turned the opposite way that he wanted to go and uh, was going a different way than he preferred. And so he was not happy with me about that, as you can see. But how many of us are like children when it comes to our Heavenly Father? Maybe we don't throw a fit like that, or maybe we do. <laughs> but we don't wanna do what he tells us to do because we like what we are doing better. We would prefer to go our way and not his. But Jesus says to us, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. And in this scripture, Jesus is saying, the Father loves me and I love you. And I want you to stay in that love, to remain there, to abide and exist in the unconditional love that I have for you. And the way that you do this is to keep my commands and to obey me. Jesus is very practical and very clear in this, that love is not just an emotion, but it's action. Loving God means obeying him. So the question before us is, will I go God's way or my way? I like to have things my way. I like to be in control. It makes things easier, right? <laughs> and we might be saying, well, my life is pretty good right now. The plans that I've had are working out okay. And yet the plans that God have for, has for us are greater and better than anything that we can have for ourselves. And God does have a plan for our lives. He has a plan for our seasons of life, whether we're students or you're single or married or widowed. God has a plan for our relationships, whether that's our friendships or marriages that we're in or in our roles as parents or grandparents. God has a plan even for the people that maybe don't like us very well or maybe that we don't like very well. He's a plan in all of that. 
God has a plan for our priorities, whether that's school or activities that you're involved in or your job or your career or finances. God has a plan for that. And so obedience to God means letting go of our plans in those areas and every other area and letting God lead in every aspect of our lives. It means allowing him to guide our steps and direct our decisions, and it means surrendering our will for his perfect will and following him. So let go of your plans and let God direct your path. He has a plan for your life since the beginning of time, and no step along that journey has been missed. I often tell our students in student life that when we follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to have a perfect life, but we will have the best life. And so what is God calling you to be obedient in? Is he calling you to obedience in a needed conversation? Is he calling you to forgive? Maybe he's asking you to switch jobs or to change the plans that you have for your life right now for the plans that he has for you. And when you surrender your plans and choose obedience to God, you'll find purpose. He created you for something special, something powerful. And the only way you'll discover your purpose in life is to obey God. We need to obey God. And so we've seen that a journey of surrender begins with dependence upon God, obedience to him, and finally, repentance. And we come back to our friend Peter. And let me paint a picture of a moment that is happening in his life. Peter and, his, and the other disciples are having um, the last supper with Jesus. And it's their last night with him. And they don't realize that, that it's their last night with Jesus before he's crucified. And so they have this evening together where we see that Jesus prays for them. He washes their feet. They eat this special Passover meal together. And then all of a sudden, Jesus looks at them and he says, you will all fall away. And I feel like this was probably a mic drop moment in this moment in Peter's life. And they were all shocked, the disciples, because I'm sure they're thinking, wait a minute, Jesus just prayed for us. He just washed our feet. We had this great meal together, this special moment. And then he tells us that we're all going to walk away from him. That doesn't make sense. Jesus didn't do what they expected. And Peter in particular was not okay with the statement. And he responds to Jesus. And he says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. We do know that, in fact, Peter did deny Jesus. Peter had the best intentions, as do most of us. But even when we commit, commit to depend and obey Jesus, there will be times when we disown him. And in those moments, when this happens, we need to confess and repent, which is eventually what Peter did. And you may think, well, I don't have any sins in my life right now. I think I'm good with Jesus. But the Bible tells us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have something that we need to repent of. Maybe it's anger or bitterness. Maybe it's words we've spoken or white lies that we've told, or maybe it's gossip that we've shared in our office spaces. Maybe it's apathy or laziness in our relationship with Jesus. Or maybe we've not treated others with God's grace and love. Maybe we've not done that on social media with others. There is something that we all can repent of. And as we surrender our sins and choose repentance, we will have a freedom unlike anything the world has to offer. And we see that Peter experienced this freedom. Peter did deny Jesus, but Jesus forgave him. And after this, Peter was gifted back his identity, 
his belonging to God, which was the most important thing to him. And it's the most important thing about us. Jesus reminded Peter of his identity and importance when he says, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. When we come towards the end of Peter's story, we see that on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, Peter was a changed man. He became the spokesman for the disciples and he spoke with boldness to crowds of thousands, bringing them the good news and converting them to followers of Jesus. He performed miracles and traveled all over sharing Jesus' message. Peter was the rock upon which the church was built. But why did all of this happen? Why was Peter the rock upon which the church was built? Because Peter surrendered his life to Jesus. He wasn't perfect as we see in scripture, but he was committed to the journey of following Jesus. And Jesus was faithful to him. Peter didn't do all of this on his own. He did it because he surrendered his life to Jesus and Jesus used him. Peter did leave everything to follow Jesus. We know that Peter depended on Jesus and was obedient to him and was willing to repent when needed. Peter is known as a pillar of the church because of what he allowed Jesus to do in him and through him. So what does our faith story look like today? None of us have reached our destination and we won't until we spend eternity with Jesus. We are on a a journey, a day by day, moment by moment journey of following Jesus. God has an incredible story for our lives. Are we willing to surrender to it? We've talked about depending on Jesus and being obedient to him and being people who are willing to repent. And really this all comes down to one question that I wanna leave with you this morning. And that is, what is the next thing you need to give to Jesus? Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's your plans or your future that you have worked out that you need to let God come into and make look different. Maybe it's control or money or time or your calendar because you're so busy that God's kind of getting pushed out and he wants to be back in there. Do you need to give that to him? Maybe it's your relationships. Maybe it's insecurities. This is something that I'm working on in my own life and there are times that I feel anxious and deal with insecurities and wonder if I, am I enough and I'm asking Jesus to step into the midst of that and I'm giving it to him and trusting him with that. Maybe it's your past. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus and surrender to him and start your journey with him. I can tell you it's not easy sometimes, but it's so worth it. What is the next thing that you need to give to Jesus? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I do thank you that you are a God who is so good and so faithful to us. And God, I thank you that we can look to scripture and God, be challenged to grow in our relationship with you. And I thank you that you are with us in the midst of all of that. And so God, we've learned to be people who need to depend on you and God, to be obedient to you and to be people who are willing to repent. But Lord, we can't do that on our own. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to surrender our lives to you. Lord, we all have something that we need to give to you. Lord, it might be something that was on the list that I mentioned, but, God, it may be something else. And so I pray your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts and minds, God, to help us to give you the next thing, to help us live lives surrendered fully to you. And I got to thank you that it is a journey. And as we're on this journey, that you are with us in it, that we're not alone, that you will give us boldness and courage to live a life surrendered to you. And God, I 
thankful for your grace and your faithfulness in our lives. It's your name I pray. Amen. There are a couple of statues. If you go um, in New York City, walking down Fifth Avenue, there's this huge statue of Atlas. And here's this Greek built, Greek God built like man who with all of his muscles straining is struggling to hold the world upon his shoulders. Here he is supposed to be the most powerful man in the world and he can barely stand up underneath that burden. But that could be us trying to carry the world upon our shoulders. If you go across the street there, there's a statue of Jesus, maybe as a boy, eight or nine years old, and with no effort, he's holding the world in one hand. We have a choice. We can carry the world on our shoulders, or we can say, I give up, Lord. Here's my life. I give you my world, my whole world. And my prayer is that each of us would do that this week.